I'd now like to welcome uh, J.B. Hilario to come and read today's scripture. He will be reading in Espanol. Uh, of course, it will be in your bulletin if you uh, do not speak Spanish. And then I'll be back for today's teaching. Our scripture reading is from Lamentations chapter 3, verses 19 to 26, verses 31 to 33, and verse 40. Acuérdate de mi aflicción y de mi abatimiento del anjenjo y del hiel. Lo tendré aún en memoria, porque mi alma está abatida dentro de mí. Esto recapacitaré en mi corazón, por lo tanto esperaré. Por la misericordia de Jehová no hemos sido consumidos, porque nunca decayeron sus misericordias. Nuevas son cada mañana, grande es tu fidelidad. Mi porción es Jehová, dijo mi alma, por tanto en él esperaré. Bueno es Jehová a los que en él esperan, al alma que le busca. Bueno es esperar en silencio la salvación de Jehová. Porque el Señor nos desecha para siempre. Antes si aflige, también se compadece según la multitud de sus misericordias. Porque no aflige ni entristece voluntariamente a los hijos de los hombres. Escrutinemos nuestros caminos. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, for those of you, of course, that have been with us, uh, we have been uh, in the middle of uh, a series going through Lamentations. Uh, and this passage that's before you uh, in Lamentations 3, um, I think may, when understood fully in its context, provides us uh, more a profound articulation of what it means for us to find hope in the midst of suffering than, in my opinion, maybe any other passage in all of Scripture. Uh, to give you a little bit of a recap on that context, back in week one, uh, we looked at, at what true lament is, and we considered that true lament is crying out not just vaguely into the darkness, but lament is about crying out to God. Because if we believe that God is who he says he is and all that scripture describes him to be, that he's the alpha and the omega, that he's the beginning and the end, that he is a God who does everything according to the counsel of his will, if we believe that he truly is a God that sovereignly rules over all things, then when we come before him, true lament is to say, God, we know that you, you are in control. And so we present to you our suffering and our pain. Last week, we took a look at how it can be a difficult thing for us to, at times, uh, have God rip from us idols that are in our lives, and that it actually is a loving thing for God to remove those things from us in order that he again might sit on the throne of our hearts, because too often we find ourselves uh, allowing other things to rise up in our lives, and as a result, uh, they become idols, and in his goodness, he strips those things from us. But that also the hope that we have in that is that as he strips those idols, he's also faithful to restore us. This is the great news and the great truths of what we've seen already looking uh, at the experiences of Judah in the book of Lamentations. Now this week, with all that in mind, we look at Lamentations 3. Because in Lamentations 3, it helps us see what it means to actually hope and trust in God during the, in the midst of this suffering and in this pain, even when... We are facing literal death, as, the, uh, as Judah was at the time. Now, the poet here in Lamentations 3, I think, wants us to see three things here. 
First, we're going to see that in naming suffering, it provides a strange opportunity to praise in that suffering as we await the end of that suffering. That's what we're going to look at today. What it means to name it, what it means to praise in it, and then finally, what it's going to mean for it to end. First, with a naming of the suffering. Uh, One of the most obvious things in Lamentations is the fact that no lament can truly take place uh, unless one actually names the suffering that they're in the midst of. Acknowledging that suffering must happen first. Now, obviously, I don't have the entire chapter there in front of you, uh, but verses 19 and 20 essentially summarize all the verses that have come before. Let me just reread those to you. It says, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. The poet here is recounting the grief and the hardship, the affliction that Judah has experienced as a result of that affliction. He's naming their suffering. And now again, we cannot underestimate or overstate how important this is for understanding the lessons of Lamentations. And the reason I say that is because suffering and sorrow that is not named gives us no real foundation for understanding how one is supposed to find hope in the midst of that suffering and in that pain. I mean, what I mean is that while there are some people who certainly have a tendency to uh, share anything and everything with everyone uh, that they might come in contact with, uh, I think what happens oftentimes when we're in the midst of suffering is that we actually struggle to let that suffering and that struggle be known to other people. I think more often than not, we want to deal with it ourselves, wrestle with it, struggle through it, all while keeping it from everyone who might be around us. And for some of us here, you know uh, exactly what I mean. For some of us here, you are right now experiencing some deep burden or fear or struggle, and no one knows. I have to imagine that there's some of us here in that situation right now. And maybe you've mentioned your struggle to someone before, once or twice, but you've never really laid plain to them all that you're experiencing. And as a result, again, you just keep it to yourself. And then, of course, there's others of us here. Well, when you're struggling or suffering, you just try and ignore it. You don't want to name it. You don't want to think about it at all. And as a result, uh, you've established certain coping mechanisms as a way of distracting yourself from having to think about whatever it is that you're going through, the sting of that turmoil. I mean, maybe for some, you bury yourself in your work or in order to uh, try to avoid feeling anything. Maybe for some of you, you drink or use other substances as a way of numbing the pain that you're feeling. Maybe for some of us, we escape into fantasies or you play hours of video games or you binge watch every new show that comes on to Netflix. Whatever you can do to just distract yourself from having to experience or think about the circumstances of life. Maybe you look to relationships, relationships that you know that you should not be involved in, but you hope that the rush that comes with a new relationship will provide some kind of peace to this inner turmoil that you're experiencing. 
And whether you're a person who has been taught over the course of your life to keep it together or to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, I do recognize that our tendency to keep things in happens for reasons, good reasons. I mean, one of the reasons why we don't bring things up is maybe in the past you've just been burned by people. You've named your suffering before, and as a result of that, you have been hurt by others. And maybe those people have even used whatever circumstance that you're in the middle of or that you uh, shared, they use it as a way to leverage against you. Like it's actually hurt you deeply by sharing. For others, maybe you just don't feel like you have anyone to listen. Maybe you, don't, you can't identify the people in your life that would actually want to hear your struggles. And for others, you just have no confidence that anyone could possibly understand what you're feeling and what you're experiencing. And so you have a hard time sharing it because how would anybody understand the circumstances that you're in? If any of that resonates with you, I just want you to know, I get it. And I want you to know that you're not alone. I mean, the church is not perfect, but the church has a call. Galatians 6 tells us that the church ought to be a place where we bear one another's burdens. That the church ought to be a place where we can safely process and experience our grief and our suffering. And I do realize that this is not always the case. And the reason why this is not always the case is because not everyone in the church is actually safe. And it's at least worth acknowledging, right? We can't necessarily trust everyone that is here. Not everybody will always be the kind of person that you can share things with in a safe kind of way. But I do wonder, do you have people in your life, you know, the kinds of people that you can have that like super just snotty cry session with, right? The kind of person that you can trust when you go to uh, pray with you, the person that will just sit there and listen to you, the person that won't think you're crazy or won't judge you uh, as a result of the things that you share, who in the end are there for you. And here's what I think is probably most important. People who are there for you and point you to Jesus. Do you have those kinds of people in your life, that kind of friendship? Because it's that kind of friendship that we ought to be able to find in the church. And though there are certainly unsafe people in the church, it is worth doing the hard work of finding those people and learning what it means to be one of those kinds of safe people. Because it's in the church where we not only are able to bear each other's burdens, but it's also the place where we're able to give people hope beyond the circumstances that we experience in the moment. And while I cannot promise you that as a church we can fix things, at minimum, we as a church can pray for you. As a minimum, in the church you can be seen. At minimum, there are listening ears. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I am in the midst of really difficult circumstances, sometimes that's all I need is someone to listen to me, someone to pray with me, for someone to not think I'm crazy as I share some of my deepest struggles. And that's what I hope our church can be, because often that's enough at times to lift us up. Now, the poet here in Lamentations certainly shows us that hope does not come through muscling through things 
or ignoring suffering, but rather through this hope-filled lament that comes by naming that suffering. I mean, this is the context of Lamentations 3, that we name it and we speak it. I know I've referenced him quite a bit uh, throughout the series, but Sung Chan Ra notes this about suffering. Let me read this to you. He says that lament is an act of protest as the lamenter is allowed to express indignation and even outrage about the experience of suffering. This is in your bulletin, by the way, if you'd like to follow along there. The lamenter talks back to God and ultimately petitions him for help in the midst of the pain. The one who laments can call out to God for help, and in that outcry there is the hope and even the manifestation of praise. In other words, expressing the substance of the pain is by its nature what it means to trust God. However, did you catch that last little bit at the end of Ra's statement, that last sentence, where he says this, that in that outcry, there is the hope and even the manifestation of praise. I mean, isn't that curious? That in the midst of expressing this pain, there ought to be praise, which is exactly what the poet is trying to show us in this poem, that simply naming the suffering will not produce the kind of hope that we need. You know, I think many of us know people, or maybe you even are this person, uh, who only complains and never can find hope. Because naming the suffering does not equate to hoping in that suffering. Those aren't the same things. But when we rightly lament, we remember the faithfulness of God, and as a result... There's a new way of approaching the suffering that we're currently in the midst of, and it's very counterintuitive, but it's praising God in the midst of the suffering. Um, consider the last two and a half chapters right, of this book. All right? we've, we've looked at some horrendous uh, circumstances that the poet has been writing about. I mean, look at verses uh, 21 through 23. Consider all of the horrific things that we've heard and then hear these words that he speaks right in the middle of these horrible circumstances. This is what praising in the suffering looks like. Verse 21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope, that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. I mean, do you see this amazingly counterintuitive thing that has just happened? This abundant, there's this abundant hope-filled praise that happens right in the middle of terrible suffering. I mean, one of the amazing, unique things about the Christian faith is that we 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 are shown what pain and praise ought to look like when they're brought together in our life's circumstances. It's, it's what Paul was talking about in 1 Thessalonians 3 when he says that we do not grieve as those without hope. Because naming the suffering, while at the same time remembering God's faithfulness, is foundational for understanding and handling suffering well. You know, in my uh, personal life and also in the last 16 years or so of 
pastoral ministry, we've walked through people through a lot of different painful struggles and circumstances. And I've, I've found that this has not always been the case. This isn't how we usually approach suffering. We don't normally approach suffering with this hope-filled joy, even in the midst of those circumstances. Uh, and I've found over the course of the years uh, several extreme, but I think regular ways that people tend to approach suffering. You know, for some, there is this desire to certainly name the suffering. Uh, but there's also then, at the same time, a complete lack of trusting God through that suffering. And as a result, this often leads to despair and a lack of joy uh, and an inability to see God working in the midst of the suffering. So that's one group. But then you've got the other group that has the exact opposite kind of problem. For others, there's an emphasis on trying to claim the promises of God and trust that God is going to be faithful. But then at the same time, they're completely unrealistic about the suffering that they're in the middle of. And as a result, there's this inability to see God working in and through the suffering. Instead, they just try to see past the suffering. But pain and praise are not mutually exclusive to one another, but rather they're foundational for suffering well. Again, over the years, I've uh, pastorally counseled many different people going through many different things. Um, I've even been in uh, counseling myself, and for those of you here, maybe you know, uh, the deep benefits that come uh, through counseling. And one of the things, one of the reasons why I'm such a proponent of it, and uh, my wife has studied it in grad school, and we've referred people to it, and one day our hope would actually be that we'd be able to start an East Harlem um, counseling center. Uh, I say that out loud because you can help us pray to that end. I'd love to see that happen one day. Uh, but in my experience, the best kind of counseling that one can receive is counseling that not only gives a person a place to vent their frustration and their fear and their pain, but counseling that also leads people to praise. And if you've ever been in that kind of counseling, you know how uh, the way that it impacts the, the circumstances of life. When someone is leading you through the pain toward praise. But I recognize this, that that is not an easy thing to do. In fact, like anything else in life, our ability to praise in the midst of suffering will require an enormous commitment and intentionality and practice. You know, some days where you are successful, other days where you fail, but this dedication to acknowledging God in the struggle over a lifetime, I promise produces a joy unspeakable. Uh, my grandfather um, passed away several years ago. And to just give you a little context on the man, he was this uh, giant of a Pentecostal minister, um, church planter. Uh, he, was, <laughs> he was a giant in that sense, all wrapped up in this little 5'4 Lebanese body. Uh, he ministered all over New York State and around the world uh, for 50 years uh, or more. Uh, this was a man who never uh, was short on words or passion or enthusiasm. Um, but toward the end of his life, he started experiencing extreme dementia. And so every time we would go to see him, there would be a moment or two uh, where he'd be lucid and we could have like a real conversation. And then he would just drift off into this blank stare and when sitting with him, uh, there was always this sense that he wanted to speak, but no words would come to him. 
Uh, and if you've ever experienced a loved one who uh, has gone through that uh, toward the end of the life, you know how disorienting and how hard uh, that can be to experience uh, with them. But the last time we saw him uh, was in the hospital, and we were just sitting by his bed, uh, and he was um, physically there. It had gotten to the point in the conversation where he was physically there, but he was mentally just gone. Uh, and as a result, it was just silent. Uh, and it was just this really sad silence in the room. And so my wife, <clears throat> who was there with me, suggested that we sing his favorite hymn, which was Great is Thy Faithfulness, uh, which, of course, comes from here, Lamentations 3. Uh, so we begin to sing to him, um, even though he, you know, he still had this blank stare. As we began to sing to him, we noticed that his breath began to quicken, uh, his eyes closed, and his head uh, began to bob, and he just started mumbling, Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Um, it was all the words he had in his head. It was it. It's all he could get out. Um, and by the time, you know, this is happening, and it got to a certain point where um, my wife and my kids and my cousin, we were just all sobbing, um, that we, we couldn't even sing anymore. And even after we stopped singing uh, and we're sobbing, he just keeps repeating, yes, Lord, thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord, thank you, Jesus. Um, I left that room that day with a, a profound takeaway. It was a profound sense of what it means to have a lifetime of trusting God's faithfulness, regardless of circumstances, and praising him the whole time. You know, there was nothing left in him but this profound sense of God's presence and faithfulness to him. Even as now, in this moment, he faced death. You know, for myself, I pray that one day when I face death, that my refrain, that, that when all that's left is in me, all that's left is, yes, Lord, thank you, Jesus. But you know what's another striking thing to me about this passage? Is look at uh, verses 22 and 23. Uh, in verses 22 and 23, we're told that God's mercies are new every morning. It's interesting. It's interesting that God knows what we need for today. Right? He knows the kinds of mercies that we need to make it through this day. I think too often, though, what keeps us from being able to praise in the moment is our desires for tomorrow's mercies today. We want knowledge, and we want security, and we want insight for another day. And as a result, it makes us anxious and fearful and lost today because we cannot know what's beyond what is right in front of us. But there's something about his mercies being new every day for that day. You know, Jesus in Matthew 6, reflecting on this idea of what it means to trust today and not worry about tomorrow, this is what Jesus says. Let me just read this to you. He says, Do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. 
Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. See, God knows what you need. Now, granted, uh, what you want and what you need might not always align, but he does know what you need for today. He knows what you need for tomorrow. And so Jesus tells us, when you seek first God's kingdom, regardless of the circumstances, we cease worrying, and instead we start trusting, which I think ultimately leads us to praise. Earlier uh, this week, I was meeting with someone who's going through a really hard season of life, um, and he said something that I think is absolutely true. You know, every week we pray the Lord's Prayer, uh, and in that prayer we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And something that he said is that he said, it's the hardest thing to pray that prayer in the midst of suffering. It's terrifying because your will be done very well means, I am, it means I'm trusting God's will, and God's will might not be my will. God might actually have something else in mind that I currently do not want to happen. And a submission to his will might result in life not turning out the way that I think it should. But when we get to that place of really being able to pray that prayer honestly, I think it's there also that joy awaits us. Unless we think that this is somehow an unfair proposition for us to have to experience— even Jesus experienced this. I mean, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before uh, he would um, be crucified, he's, of course, carrying this enormous burden with the, ex- the suffering that he's about to experience. And in the midst of that, you remember what his prayer was? It was, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. You know, one of the things I think about that prayer of Jesus is that this prayer, I think, gives us a real clarity on the kinds of prayers that we should be praying and the way that we should be praying. I mean, Jesus here is showing us that we can pray for the craziest prayers. I mean, the most over-the-top things that we never imagined could ever happen. Big, bold prayers. And we can always be confident in praying those prayers when we add the line that Jesus himself adds, but not my will, but yours be done. I think that shows us, one, that we can trust God is able to do the miraculous, over-the-top kind of stuff. But also know that if it's not his will, then so be it. And again, this positions us, I think, for a different level of engagement in our suffering. You know, 10 years ago now, um, I always forget to do this. I didn't get permission to share the story uh, with my daughter, so I'm hoping that she uh, is kind to me about it. But uh, 10 years ago, uh, our oldest daughter, she nearly died. Uh, she had contracted, uh, contracted um, a, an illness that sent her into respiratory failure. Uh, they had to rush her uh, in an ambulance from one hospital that she was in to another hospital. Um, and when I, when I arrived at the new one, I, I, my wife had ridden uh, with her in the uh, ambulance. I had to follow behind, and I couldn't run red lights, the, the whole thing. Uh, and so I got there a little bit later than they did. And when I got there, it was like TV drama intensity. 
with our daughter. Uh, doctors were yelling at each other to hurry up, and there were doctors rushing in and rushing out. They kicked my wife and I out of the, out of the room as they attempted to stabilize her. Uh, again, there were doctors yelling for other doctors, needing these doctors to come in right away and help. It was like the most chaotic um, scene um, that I can imagine um, in an ER. And while we were sitting out in the hallway, uh, my wife just sat on the floor of the ER, uh, just sobbing and praying. Of course, we're just both just so disorienting. And she prayed a prayer in that moment that has stayed with me all of these years. In the midst of all that chaos, I'm going to cry again <laughs> one of those days. She said, God, heal our daughter and bring her out of this. But if you don't, thank you for the years that we had her. I won't be angry with you. I'll just thank you. And I remember that a prayer like that in the middle of literally the mis- dis- most disorienting season of life that we've ever been in. I mean, what was that? It was Father if you are willing to take this cup from me, please do so. But not my will, but yours be done. It's this kind of trust that is something that takes practice. This does not just happen. At times, we must force ourselves to speak these kinds of truths because they don't come naturally. But when we do it, even in the midst of debilitating sadness, Praise comes. The poet of Lamentations 3 knew it. Jesus knew it. Christians across millennia and Christians sitting here in this room know it. You and I, we can know it. We can know what it means to praise, even in the midst of suffering. The last thing I want to just say about this is that we can have this kind of posture in the midst of suffering. We can have this kind of joy and this praise in the midst of the most uh, difficult of circumstances because of something that we see finally in our passage. Look at verse 25 and 26. It points to something. It points to the end of suffering. This is what gives us such great hope. Look at verse 25. It says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. There's that statement that should give us hope, the salvation of the Lord. I mean, what does it mean in the midst of suffering? I mean, the salvation of the Lord certainly doesn't mean that the suffering will go away. There are plenty of circumstances where the suffering does not end. I mean, for Judah, many of the people were dead as we've looked at. Those who survived are now in captivity. Many of them would die in captivity. So what what, it, what then does, it, does it mean to wait for him? What does it mean to experience his salvation? Well, for the Christian, while we might cert- currently be in the midst of suffering, we know it will not last because we know the end of the story. We know that there is nothing in this world that will not one day be completely reno- renewed, completely restored, and completely made whole. Even death itself does not get the final word. For our resurrected Savior has defeated death itself. So that now, even when we're facing death, 
We can hear the, the words of uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians 2 where he speaks about though we are absent from the body, we are present with the Lord. I mean, this is a kind of hope that only one who trusts in Jesus has. That is why we can name our suffering and why we can praise in the midst of that suffering because there is no suffering that has not already been defeated by the work of our victorious King. And so if you're here today, if you're suffering in some kind of way, I want you to do me a favor, if you're comfortable with this, but I want you to just close your eyes for a moment. And as you think about that suffering, that I know that you inevitably have on your mind, I want you to again hear these words from Lamentations 3. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Hear these words. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these truths. Lord, I know that there are some here that need to be reminded of your faithfulness because it feels right now like things are falling apart. It feels like life is overwhelming beyond what is bearable. But God, your word reminds us that you're faithful. God, your word reminds us that even if we lose everything, that what we have in you far exceeds anything else that we could have. And so I pray that as we now think about our suffering, as we've named it, I pray you'd also by your spirit help us to learn what it means to praise in the midst of that suffering. God, you are the one who knows the beginning to the end. We know the end of the story and therefore we refuse to be overcome by the darkness for the light has stepped into the world and has rescued us from that darkness. And so God, for the next few moments as we sit and we just reflect on these truths, would you call to mind all the ways that you have been faithful to us that it might provide us hope for the faithfulness that we'll experience into the future. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.